Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 36 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry. Today's guest on the show is Seth Haynes, who is a horn player, digital marketing consultant, and the author of the new book, Break Into the Scene, a musician's guide to making connections, creating opportunities, and launching a career. I'm so pleased to say that since this interview was recorded, Seth's book has actually gone on to the number one spot on Amazon's bestseller list in three categories. It even knocked a number one New York Times bestselling book off the top spot, which is just an unprecedented achievement for any author, let alone a first-time self-published one. So congratulations, Seth. That's a really amazing launch, and I wish you great success with this book. If you want to check out some of the free tips and email templates that uh, Seth has put together on his website, along with some other bonuses, you can check out breakintothescene.com. That's www.breakintothescene.com. Of course, I'll put a link to that up in the show notes here. Seth and I had a really fun, high-energy conversation focused around some of the topics in his book, including how to work with contractors, how to market and self-promote, and even the contentious issue of working for free, for which Seth actually presents a really fresh and modern take, in my opinion. The giveaway for this episode is a signed copy of Seth's brand new, best-selling book, Break Into the Scene. To make sure you're eligible to win this and other giveaways mentioned on the podcast, please be sure to sign up for our email mailing list at www.clarineat.com. You'll also receive content updates, special offers, coupons, and more right to your inbox. Now, if you've been enjoying the podcast and would like to support it, please consider subscribing, leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen, and sharing it with any friends, colleagues, or students who you feel might enjoy it. If you'd like to support the production of the show directly, you can purchase your new and neat clarinet items by clicking referral links on the website, shopping on our online store at www.clarineat.com store, or by making a monthly contribution on the new service Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. This will give you access to special upgraded content, live hangouts, and more, and a shout out on, the, on an episode of the show for your support. So today, I'd like to actually thank Matt and Garrett for being Clarineat's first two Patreon backers. To learn about Patreon, you can check out www.clarineat.com slash Patreon. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's www.clarineat.com slash Patreon. Today's episode is brought to you by Daddario Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Diderio is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques, so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Diderio Woodwinds, visit diderio.com woodwinds. I'm here today with Seth Haynes of the Musician's Guide to Hustling website. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show today, Seth. Sean, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Thanks for having me. So you're not a clarinetist, and you're one of only a few, actually, who's been on the podcast like that. Um, would you mind starting out by just telling us a bit about who you are and uh, what your website is about? Yeah, man. So uh, first off, I'm honored to be among the non-clarinetists to be here on the on the Clarinet <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, so uh, so my name is Seth Haynes. I am a Philadelphia-based uh, French horn player. So I'm originally from South Carolina here in the States. And I've lived in Philadelphia. I went to school here. I went to Temple University. I studied here. And uh, I've basically stuck around ever since. It's treated me very well here. And yeah, so I do. So I'm a horn player, but I'm also a digital marketing consultant, which that, that, that basically means that I help uh, a lot of performing arts organizations. I do some publishing company and author work and um, some every now and then some other type of clients as well. But I help them. I build websites for people. I help them do any kind of online communication. So any kind of marketing that happens online, whether that's Google AdWords or social media or email marketing or you know anything that falls into that category of online communications, I do that as well. Then of course I do. I have private students that I teach. I do contracting work for a couple of different. For a couple of different organizations and groups around the area once in a while. Um, so I have a, I have my hands in a lot of different parts of the music biz. So if I was checking out your website for the first time, um, first of all, what, what actually caused you to start it? And uh, then would you list maybe the top three things you'd want me to check out after I get there? Yeah. So 
So first off, the, the reason I started the site is uh, I have a hunch, It's very, and I believe it's very similar to why you started Clarinet, is you know I wanted to create a resource that I wish I had access to when I was first getting started freelancing. So whenever I, I graduated school in 2012, so you know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young guy, and so I... I remember I graduated and I read, I, I, I got really kind of, you know, I think a lot, I think every music student at some point kind of has that, like, like that, like moment where they realize like, Oh crap. Like, what am I going to be doing in like two years? And I graduate, like, what am I, like, what am I actually going to be doing day to day? And honestly, at the time I had no idea what I wanted to be doing. I knew I wasn't really interested in like the orchestral route of taking auditions like that. Never really. Uh, it was never really a serious pursuit of mine. Um, I, I, I liked teaching. I was into, but I was inter interested in a lot of different things. So I wanted to primarily just get started making some money. And so it was strikingly, there was strikingly little advice out there for musicians about how to actually do that. So I, I'm a big reader. I'm a big believer in like, you know, being your own teacher with things. So I'm a, big reader. I've taken a lot of online courses and entrepreneurship classes and things. I've worked with business coaches and writing coach now. And so I'm, I'm like very, like I'm very into like self-directed learning. And I wanted to basically take all of this information that I had been learning. I mean, you know, nobody, no, nobody in their right mind would ever do the, like go as far into this stuff as I, you know, tend to go just because it's like, that's just kind of how I am. But so I tried to basically take the best information that I've been able to find, the most actionable things, and put them onto one in the one place where I can share my ideas, my experiences with people. And really the goal is to just help people get started, either get, get their careers going or grow their careers. Um, so if someone was going to my site, musiciansguidehustling.com for the first time, uh, I would say the first and foremost thing they should look at is the very first post I ever did, uh, which is called How to Actually Get Started Freelancing Today. And so that that post is kind of what I think, it, that that's what got me my initial, obviously it was the first post, but that's the one that's really, I think, gotten the best response out of everything I've done. Uh, so like in that post, I go through basically exactly how you can figure out who is hiring, how to reach out to them and how to start like kind of drumming up some work for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other post that's really, that was really, really popular was uh, how to make any contractor actually want to hire you. Um, so that, that did really well. And that, that basically, we could talk more about any of this stuff for sure, but Absolutely, that one, yeah. and so that one is, uh, was really popular among uh, contractors, especially anybody that ever does hiring knows how just unbelievably frustrating it can be. Um, and most of that stems from musicians that don't just have like a great, that just, that just aren't great about being, uh, com good communicators with people. So like something as simple as like responding to an email as soon as you can, even if you don't know if you can say yes, just say, Hey, thanks so much for reaching out. I just need to check my calendar tonight or tomorrow when I get home. Can I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm wanting to let you know, I got your email. I will get back with you first thing tomorrow. Yeah, not, so not to sidetrack too much, but I was just talking the other day actually about this with somebody and how difficult it is not only to reply quickly, but to even, and maybe this is just me getting older, but <laughs> to even remember <laughs> where the message came from. Like I have, I can contact people from, from Facebook, Twitter, maybe it was a comment on my website, maybe an email right. could have been the contact form, might be an iMessage. It could have been a voicemail. My voicemail yeah, yeah, gets yeah, dictated yeah. and sent to me. Like at the end of the day, you're like, okay, where do I start replying? I sort of wish there I was know. a, <laughs> so yeah, what dude. you think people yeah. should be replying within a certain time frame, or just like, what is your thought on that then within a day? Yeah, I would, I would say as soon as possible. So even, even if you don't know if you can do it, just letting them know because that you, that you got their message and you will reply as soon as you can is hugely helpful to contractors. I mean, cause you got to figure, so like, let's say I'm hiring an orchestra and I need to fill 10 violin chairs and I email 10 people and five of them get back quickly. And then, you know, we all, any, any contractor, I mean, there's a certain, they they're always have some kind of schedule they're on. They have to keep right. Because 
they have to, there's a lot of other things that go into hiring people other than just having them show up and sit in the chair. Like you have to make sure their payment gets submitted. You have to make sure the rosters are good so they can go in the program so we can go be submitted to get checks made, like all this stuff. So, and, but so like whenever people just don't respond for like a week, you know, it's like, I don't know if they want to do the gig. I don't know if they can't do the gig. Do they not want to do it? Should I wait for them? You know, it just, it just makes it harder for the contractor. So I would just say as soon as possible is a great way to go. Sometimes that's a day. Sometimes it's not. I mean, and, and kind of to, to piggyback on what you were saying, I mean, I would say that all, I mean, per, my personal kind of method of this is I, I never do any kind of contracting or anything outside of email. I don't do, I don't uh. really do phone calls. I don't do Facebook messages. I don't do texts. And when people do text me, I say, I say, Hey, thanks for, thanks for letting me know. But just, can you just reply to the email? So I have it all one place because I mean, the way that I organize this stuff is I actually use a Google form when I do any kind of hiring for a large group. So all, so I, people have to fill out, it takes them five seconds to fill in their name and just say, and check yes or no, if they're available. That's and brilliant. then I have, and then I have all, I'm actually going to do a post about this at some point, but like I have all their information, their availability, their email address, their phone number, everything on one spreadsheet. I can check it on my phone. I can check it from my computer. I can check it from someone else's computer. Um, and so like, I think email is a, is generally speaking, probably the most widely accepted, like form of like quote unquote professional communication. Well, you know, that, that sounds like something I should be using even for as an individual for like my teaching studio. Like, can you come to the recital? (laughs) Yes or no? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, and you know, some people, especially, you know, I don't want to say like some older musicians are like, kind of like, what is this? But there's, I think it's, people aren't used to, to, doing it that way. But I think if you just frame it right and just be like, Hey, listen, I'm just trying to keep everything organized on my end. If you could just take 10 seconds, here's the link, click here. It pulls up on a phone, an iPad, a, you know, a watch, whatever it is these days. And you know, it's just a clean, simple thing. Just say, what's your name? What's your email address? What's your phone number? You know, your address, if you need a physical mailing address, whatever it is. And it dumps it all into a nice, neat spreadsheet for you. You can look. You have all the contact information there in one place. It is a game changer for anyone that deals with, like, scheduling for, for like, large number of people. I mean, yeah, there's totally. other apps and stuff for this. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely important. But I would say that anyone that's, like, listening, whether they're a contractor or just someone that gets hired for gigs once in a while, I would say a great thing to – a great rule of thumb is to just always try to keep everything on email. I mean, so unless the person, sorry, go play, ahead. Sorry, not to play devil's advocate here, <laughs> really, but two things come to mind. And, oh, and one I is, <laughs> one is that like, one thing I don't like is when I have to remember someone's preferred method of communication. And I, I don't know if that's maybe just some sort of laziness or inability to do so, but I find it frustrating when I'm like, okay, I need to talk to this person now. I can't remember if they prefer text or email or whatever. Um, But I I though do think it it sounds enticing to just be able to say, hey, you know what? This is my preferred method. But what do you think about that? Is that an irrational thought? I would say that whenever you are the one that's like, if you're the one doing the hiring, like they should do what you want to do because you're the one that has to do all the legwork. Right. Uh, I mean, that's why that's, but, but if they're hiring you, then like, if they want to send me a Facebook message and say, Hey, can you do X, Y, Z? I say, great. I'll be there. Sounds good. You know, it's like, but if, if they're coming to me with something, then I mean, you know, this is just the way I do it. It's not right or wrong. It's just the way I do it. Uh, you know, I, I do whatever the person contacting me uses but if i'm the one initiating and doing all and has to do all the legwork on the other side you know i do everything on email i don't ever unless it's like a brass quintet with my really close friends where i can just send them a quick text and like i know they'll respond to me really quickly like Mm -hmm. that's a different story but yeah but you know having thought a little bit more about what i just said you know I, i think we sometimes forget that before the internet people had to remember little details like this all the time is like, Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, oh, yeah. think back to the 1990s, early nineties back then, bef- just before <laughs> internet and email. Yeah, yeah. All the way back. Well, it's 20 some odd years ago now, believe it or not, you know, I know. <laughs> but, but think back to that when it was like, okay, I know that X person is home at this hour and they don't like to be called after 8 PM because they're going to go early to bed. You had to just remember that. 
So maybe it's yeah. okay to remember, all right, Seth prefers email, but you know, Johnny prefers text. Maybe that's, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's so much more to remember now. Like, and, and it's weird, the stuff we remember and then the stuff we don't remember. Like, I don't even know my parents' phone number. I have to look, uh, I just click their name on my cell phone and yeah, it's yeah, gone. Yeah. So that's it's a little true. strange, but, uh, it, it, dude, it's so true. And like, I mean, actually I, I, you know, it's funny we're talking about this because I literally just before we I hopped on this call, I was, uh, going back and forth with uh, one of the orchestra, like one of the groups that I do uh, contracting work for. And we're, and we're like potentially planning this trip to like take an orchestra and choir to travel somewhere and like perform. So like my mind is like already wrapped around all this stuff. That's so <laughs> funny we're talking about it. But I mean, I think a general rule of thumb is to just, if you are the one being hired for anything, always, always, always make the other person's life easier. Uh-huh. And they will... They will like you. They will respond to you. They will want to work with you because whenever you're dealing with like, like whenever I do contracting for something, if I reach out to, if I have to reach out to 50 different people and like two people are being a big pain in the ass. And I don't know if I can say that on here or not, but oh, I that's say fine. Yeah. But, but guess, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean though. Guess who you don't call next time, right? Yeah. Guess who is who I don't want to call first. Like someone that like, you know, is asking dumb questions or complaining about where they're sitting or whatever. It's like, dude. There are 10 other violinists I can call right now that can like sit here and won't be bombing my inbox. Like if I had to keep up with 50 people, like, you know, help me help you, like make it so easy for me. And, you know, maybe I'm just like <laughs> lazy or something. I, I don't, but I don't care. You know, it's like, that's how I work. I mean, I'm a very system like oriented person. Like, you know, I, I, that's why I use things like Google forms. Cause it keeps it all in place. It's simple. It's clean. It's efficient. Absolutely. And, yeah. So then that's, yeah, but I would say a general rule of thumb to kind of like tie a nice bow on this little bit of a rant of mine is <laughs> yeah. always make the other person's life easier when they are hiring you, whether it's a bride that's hiring you for their wedding or the contractor for the local orchestra, always make their life easier. I like that. That's a good takeaway. And so, yeah, I, I think we did go on quite a bit of a tangent here, but I think that's an interesting one. So let's get back here. And what's the third thing that someone would check out if they, once they got to your website? Sure. So I, so I do a fair amount of these interviews. Uh, and I think there's a couple good ones. I would say probably one of the more interesting ones that I've done was with Chuck Dallenbach, who's the founder of the Canadian Brass or co-founder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a very short interview. Uh, if you just, if you just YouTube Chuck Dallenbach, it'll pop right up actually. Um, but he, he um, or it's on my site, but yeah, I'll put a link but, to that in the show notes. Yeah, but so like Chuck, that was actually a really interesting one because, you know, he basically just because I think a lot of people like look at these groups that are like super successful and they think like, oh, my gosh, if I could just do X, Y, Z thing, if I could just do that, you know, if I just had this player in my group or whatever, like we could be successful. And it's like, I mean, the people that are the most successful are the ones that are in it for the long game and are doing the work and so like the canadian brass i mean and sean you and i talked about this whenever you were on my site uh, how, like, you know, how like you do uh like a lot of these school like a lot of this kind of school work um like going to doing like master classes or these presentations in like educational environments i mean the canadian brass literally i can't remember the number he said but it was literally like they were doing hundreds of these concerts oh yeah like, i was gonna say i think they do thousands in the course of their career Over the course of their career, it's it's thousands and thousands and thousands. But even in the first like year or two, they were doing like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these concerts. And they had to write all of their own music. There was no music for Brass Quintet. There was literally none. They had to like, they had to put together these programs and they had to do them back to back to back to back to back. And we're just, and they were just killing it. I mean, there's a, there's a great story. I can't remember what book it's in. I think it's in actually Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, where he talks about how the Beatles first got started. And they literally were playing. And I don't remember what it was, exactly what it was, but I it think was it was some club. Like, like a, yeah, it was a some club. kind of club. And they literally played for like seven hours, like five days a week at this club. Oh, yeah. Like, and like, that's crazy. But like, that's why they're like the you know like most renowned like performing band of all time. Like, I mean, because they did they they did the work. Well, they so. honed their craft, and you know, with the Beatles, it also to me explains a little bit why they quit touring. I mean, they were sort of backwards from most rock bands. Instead of just fooling around in their garage and then going on a tour, they kind of worked every single day 
and then went on their career. And then they must have at some point just been like, oh, my God, I just want to sit in the studio now and make records. And that's what they did. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and so, like, yeah, and, and for anyone that hasn't seen it, the very last the rooftop concert in London they did, like the, it was like the very last time they performed in public together. I think I have uh, that on DVD. Oh, dude, that is such that is such just like a moving, beautiful video. It's so good. The music is just so tight. It's like so. Oh, it's so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's but anyway, that's a not. I don't want to get. I don't. I'm not a Beatles scholar by any means, but uh, but yeah. So the interview with Chuck that was really interesting because it kind of like you know because I think the Canadian Brass is one of those groups that like has been able to stand the test of time. I mean, they've Legendary. been around for. I mean, they've been around. Chuck has been playing in the group for over 40 years now, I think. That's unbelievable. Um, and so I had Chris Coletti on. Chris is a good buddy of mine. So Chris came on. He's a trumpet player in the Canadian Brass. He came on and talked about uh, stuff from like the kind of the younger members perspective of being in the group. And I mean, it's just so I think that's a really great um, interview as well that, that people could check out if they wanted to. Awesome. So you've also got a book coming out called Break Into the Scene, which um, yes is, is, you know, it seems a little bit like, uh, you're trying to put all your advice and thoughts into one place so you can literally get it into the hands of musicians all around the world. In a nutshell, what's your book about? Yeah, man. So the subtitle of the book, I think kind of like does a pretty good job of like encapsulating the essence of what I'm trying to communicate with the book. And it's basically, so it's basically breaking into the scene, a musician's guide to making connections, creating opportunities and launching a career. And so I think that the three kind of like core challenges that um, I I hear from readers, you know, and I I'm very lucky in the sense that my site has a has a pretty good, like, you know, has a nice little following along with it, and I've got a nice email list of like a really great community of people, and so I hear from these musicians literally all over the world. I mean, some of them are you know just starting their freshman year at, at, you know, at some university somewhere and others are like, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from a guy who's like a choir director in like the capital of Nigeria. Like, like what? Like, it's so, it's so <laughs> wild. And, but so I constantly hear these same kind of things. I mean, the first one is that a lot of people, I think, uh, you know, there's just like, there's this kind of like the scarcity mindset around like a career in classical or in any kind of music where it's like, there aren't any new opportunities either. There are so many people and so few opportunities. So everybody's kind of like, I always think about it like a pie. Um, and where it's where you're kind of looking at it from the perspective, like other people I think look at it from the perspective that like, okay, so there's this like finite amount of work, like, and I'm just trying to get as much of it for myself as possible. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, I'm trying to get my piece of the pie. And so it, for me, I don't really look at it that way. And I don't really believe in that perspective. I'm more about like, how do you create opportunities? How do you make the pie bigger? Making like, more how do you pie. <laughs> how do you increase the size of the pie? So there's more for you, there's more for other people. And because I really believe in this is a little bit of a side note, but I really believe that if Every musician out there was actively trying to create their own opportunities, whether that's a concert series, a group or wedding gigs or podcasts or blogs around the subject, whatever it is. I really believe that if everybody was out there creating these opportunities for themselves and their colleagues, that, uh, you know, there will be plenty of work to go around. So that's kind of the first thing is like this idea of there are no opportunities. So I wanted to talk a lot about how to create opportunities. Um, you know, another thing is like, I don't know the right people. I don't know how to network. So I talk a lot about how to authentically, and I think that's a key word here, authentically network with people so that you can start meeting the people because I mean, I don't, yeah, I remember I posted on, I remember I was commenting on like, I, this is my first problem, but I was on Reddit one day and I'm not a really big Reddit user, but I was on there one day and I was reading this comment from someone and he said something about like, you know, well, that sounds great, but I would rather get hired on my, I made a comment about like, you know, how, how, how like it's important to know people or something. And he was like, yeah, well, that sounds great, but I would much rather, you know, get hired based on my talent and ability than my social skills. And that really like <laughs> stuck with me because it's like, obviously, of course, your talent, your ability, and your like, you know, your artistic, like, contributions are super important for any kind of like music, musical work, right? Of course. But 
you like anyone that ignores the fact that you have to have connections with other people to in order for like grow your career. I mean, you know, that that's that, to me, that's like a little yeah, we, bit of a we, we don't exist in a vacuum, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you have to you have to be connecting and collaborating and meeting and and just engaging with your colleagues. You have to you, you physically like cannot like like exist in the world of like as a musician where it's a very collaborative art form, like just by yourself. You cannot do it. I mean, someone somewhere out there is like, yeah, well, I'm recording solo albums all the day. But even then, you have to collaborate with people for whether it's distribution or the recording. Well, even think about someone like like Glenn Gould, who who is known for being kind of a recluse in his later days, and like the Beatles, went into the studio almost exclusively and and just right. kind of stayed there, you know. But there was a team of producers and recording engineers and all sorts of things going on that, whether he liked to admit it or not, like he was not by himself and. Yeah. You know, totally. you remind me of a quote. Have you read the book called Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port? Uh, no, but I know of Michael Port and I know of the book, but I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. And there he says something like, all things being equal, you'll hire a friend. All things being unequal, you'll still hire a friend. And I think that that really kind of hits the nail on the right. head because, you know, you do, you kind of have to deal with the people you know and trust. I mean, even if I'm looking for a sub for, we were talking about the clinics and workshops that I do. I need yeah. to hire someone that I know is going to do a good job in my, to replace me. I don't want to have the teacher calling me up the next week and going, yeah, Hey, you know, uh, that guy you brought in, he, he is actually a flute player, not a clarinet player. Like, oh, whoops. <laughs> right. <laughs> or right. something well, like that, you know? Yeah. And absolutely. And so like, you know, I think a lot of, I think a lot of musicians are, um, very kind of like, you know, I think, I think there's just a little bit of like a cognitive dissonance. You know, there's a little bit of like a mental, like, you know, shift of there of like of accepting this and i mean and just acknowledging it and embracing it and like not seeing it as like uh well i'm just you know playing the game it's all political and you know at some point oh you know a lot of it a lot of that stuff does happen but you can if you can authentically and genuinely connect with your colleagues and be the type of person other people want to work with you will be a-okay so I mean, I, and we could talk more specifics about this, uh, of course, but like, I just want to touch on the last one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Last big point first. And so the other thing that a lot of people like kind of have problems with is they're like, they're waiting around for other people to like pick them, to like choose them, to come, to reach out to them. And the reality of it is, especially if you're starting out new, whether you're like brand new to like whatever scene you're, you're wherever your city or you're just graduating or you're trying to expand to new areas. If they, if the people you're trying to, you're, you're like uh, aspiring to work with in the space you're wanting to work in, if those people don't know you exist, they'll never be able to hire you. How would they hire you if they don't know who you are? So like, if you're waiting around for other people to reach out to you and discover you, like, you know, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. So like one of the big things I talk about in the book and, and I talk about on my site is like, I give people like exact scripts they can use to reach out to people. Or, you know, so like whenever you reach out to somebody cold, how do you how do you reach out to them in a way that's like authentic, not some like hard salesy thing? Um, and so that people actually respond and like want to like meet you or work with you. And I talk about how to be valuable to other people. How do you add value to those around you? Um, so and but a lot of that has come stem from like you being proactive and going out and pursuing these opportunities to meet people to create work for yourself to engage with the world the community around you that's really what it kind of is all about i mean you don't have to be the most amazing clarinetist or french horn or cellist or you know banjo player in the world to to like you know to get started freelancing to pick up some work pick up some gigs some students whatever it is like so what do you say though to the 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 freelancing concept i mean it's funny because I think that freelancing is, is sort of a, a world that's meant for hardworking kind of high energy people. And I can feel your high energy, like coming through the, <laughs> coming through the right. microphone here. Dude, you, I get you're, so amped up talking about Yeah, this you get really, really yeah, you get going and you know, but I, what about people who don't get that way? Or what about people who are nervous about the concept of freelancing? I mean, one of the things I was just thinking about is when you graduate and you're just leaving uh, school, like you were talking about earlier, um, everyone in the other fields like engineering or, medicine, they're all going and getting jobs and buying houses and starting families. And 
How do you right, say, right. How, how do you say with confidence, like instead of, oh yeah, I'm freelancing, but instead like, yeah, I'm freelancing. I'm a freelance musician. Yeah. Like how, <laughs> how do you get there? How do you get to that point? So, well, so first, and you know, this is actually an interesting thing. Um, so I was actually talking to uh, a friend of mine recently who uh, he's a, percu- he's a timpanist uh, and percussionist. And he, he's a, he's currently a fellow in new world, new world symphony uh, and down in Miami and Florida here in the States. And so we were talking about like we were talking about the book and I was talking about some of the stuff I'm working on and he and he, he kind of made an interesting comment he's like well but not everybody wants to be a freelancer mm-hmm. and I was like well duh like what do you mean like you know it did, it never like occurred to me that like people would interpret it as like oh well, you have to be a freelancer and like so I think it's important to, to say that like everything that I'm talking about in the book is not necessarily like, I don't want people to think it's like here's how to be a full-time freelancer, rah, rah, rah. It's more like, here's, <laughs> here is the toolkit and the skill set you will need so that if and when you decide to do freelance work, you can do as much or as little as you want to do. And this is just the toolkit, the skill set that you can use to get yourself going. And however far down the rabbit hole of this you want to go, great. If you want to like just you know hustle and pound the pavement nonstop 24-7, and like really go hard on it. Great. You can use all of this stuff. This will be a great book for you. But if you just want to pick up a few extra gigs on the weekend through the busy months, like if you're like, say like you're a music teacher that just wants to, you know, dust the violin off and play it a few times a month, like you can do that too. So for well, someone, even, even orchestral musicians or um, university professors, they, they might find themselves on a year of sabbatical and be wishing they had these kind of skills to be able to pursue opportunities during those times. Absolutely. You know, I, I know lots of people, professors who during their sabbatical years, they're not really off. They're off doing amazing stuff and they use these skills to, to draw those connections, whether or not they know it or not. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and another, and that's an interesting point because I was actually talking with uh, Nathan Cole, who has a great site, Nate's violin for any, uh, violinist that may stumble onto this interview. But so Nathan, um, you know, he's the first associate concertmaster of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. He he was he was just he was in the Chicago Symphony before that. Uh, like he's a you know he's like he's obviously a very like highly successful orchestral musician, and he's still like to this day. I mean, he has like one of the biggest jobs in the country. I'm like in terms of like and like violinist. I mean, he's the first associate concertmaster in like one of the in like one of the biggest orchestras, and so but he still is like going out there he he like goes out there and he creates these recital programs of new music he has a new he has a chamber music festival he runs in his like hometown he has you know he 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 still is creating all these opportunities i mean i know people that are like principal players in the philadelphia orchestra that are just starting their own projects and drumming up like some little side business stuff for them whether or not they whether or not it's for the money or just because they love doing it it's not relevant but like the fact is, when you want to create these opportunities, there's a certain level of skill and understanding of like the concepts that's necessary to do so successfully. Um, so, if someone is not, if someone's not like super gung ho about being a full time freelancer, that's totally cool. If you're not like super outgoing and like you're very introverted, and I'm I'm an introverted guy myself, I probably don't sound like it right now, but uh, <laughs> but like you know, I mean, I'm. I'm not like, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a very like, I'm a go getter kind of guy, but like, you know, I'm not like super bubbly or anything with when I'm talking with people for the first time. So like, I totally get that. But you know, what's funny about that just real quick is that I was talking about this with someone the other day and it's being, being introverted, actually, it it doesn't mean that you have no social skills and you're not an, you know, a a fun person. And (laughs) I think people often associate introversion with almost, uh, social awkwardness and really just kind of yeah, being, that, being yeah. rude or something, but it's just totally BS. Introverts I mean, like, just want time to themselves. Right. Yeah. Like I, like I have a, no, but it's funny you say like, I have a close friend that like, she's, she's like, you know, she's an extrovert by like, according to Myers Briggs, uh, she's like, you know, she's like an extrovert and like, I'm an introvert, but it's funny because like, we're like, we're like hanging out or whatever. It's so funny. Like, cause like, it's like, she's like a very introverted extrovert, but I'm like a fairly extroverted introvert you know it's so funny how that works but so like but if people are out there listening like yeah that sounds great but like i'm not comfortable doing all these things i mean i provide 
I would say to stick to the scripts that I provide in the book. I mean, there are email templates throughout the book you can use to get started reaching out to people because anybody can send an email. You don't have to like be hustling out on town and, and hawking business cards left and right or anything to get started. You just have to take small steps every day, every other day, every week, whatever you want to do to get started. I mean, I had one beta reader who, who, um, who went through the book before it was published and, uh, she emailed me and, uh, she's a cellist in New York and she emailed me and was like, Hey, I just want to let you know that I used your script. I, I spent like two or three hours one day, like just on a Saturday afternoon. She just, she just had some time. She sat down and spent a couple hours like researching some people and she just started reaching out to people. She was literally just copy and pasting the script um, onto emails and then just filling in the blanks and sending it off to people. And she landed like a $1,200 gig within like the next morning. Like someone wow. had emailed her back and was like, I was like, hey, actually, I need a cellist for XYZ thing. She would have, that would have never happened if she hadn't have been just like taking a little bit of proactive like action to like kind of initiative, move the yeah. Like, yeah, taking the initiative. And so, and then she had, and then she had like, she had like four or five other people eventually respond to her and just say, Hey, like, you know, thanks so much for reaching out. It's good to know you're around. Like if something pops up, I'll definitely let you know. Like, so that whether or not all those people lead to something like, you know, this month or next month or even next year, if you do, if you take small steps like that every day, every week, you know, whether it's five minutes in the morning, you send one email every day, or on Saturday, you take an hour, you sit down and do stuff, whatever it is, whatever works for you. But if you're being proactive and taking the initiative, you will start seeing results. And I try to give everyone that reads the book everything they need to get started to doing that. So like it can be the exact script. You don't have to think about it. I show you exactly how to research, who to talk to. And if anybody's interested in checking this out, um, obviously it's in the book. But if you just go to breakintothescene.com, you can click on the bonuses button and you can get all of these scripts and stuff for free. They're just, they're just, they'll just, they'll just come, they're just, you can just take them right from the site there and they're totally free. You just go to breakintothescene.com and slash bonuses and it'll pop right up. Awesome. So, so you, yeah, you, so you remind me there's in the book called, um, I think it's a musician's guide to doing business or something. I'll, I'll find the actual title and throw it up in the show notes, but they also talk about, um, how important it is to reach out to a large number of people and not necessarily by just blasting random emails around, but trying right, to, right, right. trying to target an audience. And this one band, I can't remember the exact band either. I'll maybe try and post that as well, but they had emailed or contacted something like 3000, um, uh, oh, venues that what, sorry, project trio. Is that it? Then they'd contacted like 3000 venues to try and get, uh, some sort of uh, concert tour going. And you know, they only heard back from, I think it was 1% but that's still 30 venues. That's a full tour. Oh yeah. So yeah, they think, were able to plan themselves a tour that was very successful based on just really kind of hustling and trying to get those gigs together. But if they'd only contacted 30 venues, they might not even had one response. Absolutely. And so I think, I think, I don't know for sure, but that sounds exactly like the story of uh, project trio, which is a, uh, if anybody's ever seen the beatboxing flute videos on YouTube, um, that's Greg Patillo. He's in the group. It's a beatboxing flute, a cello, and a double bass. So um, Peter Seymour is the bass player, and I'm, I think it's, and Eric Stevenson is the cellist. And so I actually know a couple of those guys um, from from just they they did some stuff in Philly, and I met them here. Oh, that's but, really cool. So uh, and I interviewed Peter one time. I met him in his place in Brooklyn, and we met, had an interview one time a couple years ago, and so. Um, but yeah, they literally, they didn't, I mean, this is an ensemble that there's literally no music for. They write everything. I mean, it's very, it's very similar to kind of the Canadian brass story in a way of like, they literally put together a group. They wrote all the music. They did all the work. They did. Peter does all the booking. He schedules all the flights, all the hotels, all the accommodations, all wow. the rehearsals, all everything. They do everything. And yeah. And someone might be listening and say, yeah, that's a hell of a lot of work. And it is. It absolutely is. But it's, you know, but it's that's what it, it takes, it, though. Yeah. But it's what it takes. If that's if that's the kind of stuff you want to do. I mean, you know, and maybe you don't want to do something on that scale. And that's totally fine. Like just taking action once or twice a week or once or for a few minutes every day while you're sitting on the train commuting to work or school and you just want to fire off one or two emails from your phone. Like 
go for it. If you're consistently doing that and making incremental progress, you will see huge results co- like compounding over time. Because if you make one connection with someone that hires you and they hire you uh, like two more times that year and then they hire you two or three times each year moving forward, that one email is going to end up being worth tens of thousands of dollars over the course of your career. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? So, you yeah. know, one thing I did want to touch on, and I, I, I don't like to open up cans of worms here, but I think I, <laughs> I think I'm about to open up a can of worms, <laughs> especially in the comments. I, uh, <laughs> anyways, but one chapter of the book, you do touch on the concept about working for free. Now, this is a very sure. contentious issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I have strong opinions about this one way or the other too, but uh, you seem sure. to take a less black and white issue and more of kind of like a gray, relaxed stance. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I would say that there are very few things that I look at it as, 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 as like black and white. This is right, this is wrong. Uh, so there's a section in the book that the very last chapter of the book is called Money for Freelancers. And it actually starts with a great quote from Walt Disney that's worth sharing. It's, uh, so, he, so this is a quote from Walt Disney. And he says, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make more movies. So like, it's yeah. like, I think people are, yeah, I think people have, I think musicians have a weird relationship to money, a lot of them. Um, and so, but one of the things that I talk about in this section is called, I just, there's a little sub, it's a little subsection called when to work for free. And a lot of people, uh, I think are immediately the knee jerk reaction is like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to work for free. Why should I work for free? Like this, that, the other thing, there's a million reasons why they'll, they'll cite. And, and those are all great. I don't disagree with any of them, but I do think there are a few times or several times where working for free can be extremely beneficial. So a couple examples of this are like, if you're just starting out, like, and you want to, let's, let's say you're starting out and like you're, uh, let's, let's say you're like a freshman in college, you're not really going to be getting, probably not going to be getting hired for many like, you know, serious gigs around town. And part of that's because you probably don't have the experience um, of doing it. And also you don't know people. So I would say that uh, any opportunity that comes up where you can like, for example, if you can do like some resume building, where it's like, yeah, I did this free gig and it didn't pay anything, but I got to play an XYZ cool venue or I got to, you know, I, I want to get started doing more brass quintet work or I've never done a wedding, but I want to do wedding gigs. Like you can't charge someone, you know, $2,000 to have a group show up at a nice wedding if you've never done a wedding before, but you want to do weddings, you want that experience. Like it's worth it to do it for free. And you could even say like, hey, we'll do this for free, but can we, we use, we have to, we, we just want to get recordings and can we take a few pictures while we're at your wedding? Like, mm-hmm. can we just use that as an opportunity to get some marketing promotional material out of it, a recording and a testimonial from a happy bride from this, you know, this clarinet trio of a, you know, a harp clarinet and a piano or whatever it is that showed yeah. up to, to the wedding, whatever it is. So like, like resume building, getting experience is a great yeah, finding reason. a way to use that free gig absolutely. as an opportunity for yourself absolutely. to push forward. Leveraging, right? Yeah, absolutely. Leveraging that opportunity to get something else is always worth doing. I do free work for people all the time. I do free marketing work for people still to this day. This is my business. And I still to this day do free work for people all the time mm-hmm. because I mean, I'm a big believer in like bartering. There's one example, like in my personal life where like, you know, I had a, I had a friend who, they wanted a, they wanted like a website or they wanted to, they, they're a photographer. They wanted to like take some pictures or something. And like, they needed to like try out new gear and everything. I was like, Oh, well, I'll do some, I'll do some, I'll be your, your, your dummy. If I can, you know, use the photos for X, Y, Z thing. Or I would say, Hey, I can, or, you know, there's actually a client I'm working with right now. Who's a personal trainer. Like, why don't I do some marketing work for you? Maybe we could do a couple training sessions a few times a month or something and swap it out. Like, you can, if you can leverage the opportunity of doing free work to get either an experience or a resume building or something out of it, I think it's totally worth it to do. If there's some like random bar owner that's like, oh, well, you can come play here if you're a singer songwriter and you'll get exposure. Like that's bullshit. That's, that's, yeah, that's people, a waste. People die from exposure. That's my favorite yeah. go-to line. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like that's like anybody that promises you exposure is, is full of it. Like don't like that. That's BS. But 
another another example is that like if you can go to something where you can meet people that you wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to meet. I mean, there's a few examples of like around Philadelphia. Uh, I have a friend who was putting together this like benefit concert for uh, the, for like refugees from uh, some com some country that was that were like in Philadelphia. They wanted to put together a benefit concert, so the orchestra was all volunteer and. You know, and a lot of people would say, like, oh, free gig. I'm not going to show up to an orchestra and spend my day rehearsing and this and the other thing. But all of the people that were playing in this are friends with this guy. And he's a and he's a friend of mine, actually. And he, he's like the concert master in one of the orchestras in town here in Philadelphia. And but you could but if you went to that gig, you would be sitting next to the people that play in all these other groups that are the big freelancers in town that you would probably otherwise, if you're just starting out, never get to meet. So, like, if you can meet people. And a, a, a take the free opportunity as a chance to meet people and connect with others. That's a great reason to show up and volunteer your services. So I think the most important thing to consider with this, just again, to kind of tie a little bow on a rant, is that if you can use the opportunity of doing free work to get something valuable for yourself, it's absolutely worth doing. It's all contextual. And it's circumstantial, right? It all depends mm -hmm. on the circumstance, the scenario. I will never say like, you should always do free work because that's ridiculous. But if there's an opportunity for you to do some free work or you can get something positive out of it for yourself, some experience, an, an opportunity to connect with somebody, something cool to put on your resume, whatever, you know, marketing material, if you want to do a free gig and take some pictures or record at it, whatever, you know, then it's absolutely in my mind worth doing okay so let's again to play devil's advocate here though i mean cool. let's take that concert you just talked about with uh raising money for refugees or whatever why yeah, is it and this is you know this is just something always in the back of my mind and but why is it always the musicians who have to give up their time like surely they're paying the electrical company for the power they're using sure surely the caterer is getting paid surely the venue's charging for that. And if they're not, then, you know, I guess we would know about it, but there's so many times I feel like when the musicians are the only ones giving up their time. And I guess it, it does seem like maybe it's just their time, but there's still as expenses as far as getting to and from the gig, maintaining your instruments, giving up your students for the night, like these things cost money, you know, why do you right. think that is? And why is it only us who have to feel this way and do these things? Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that it's always just the musicians. I mean, it, of, of course, again, this is all circumstantial. Every scenario is different and unique. Um, but I mean, I can even say from like the perspective of an organization that I used to do some work for, like whenever they would have their annual benefit gala, um, you know, they would, add, they would ask, they, they would have the musician, like the musicians would agree to pay for like a play for like a reduced fee, for example, or the, mm -hmm. and the music director would say like, you know, don't, don't sweat this one. This is a fundraising opportunity. You know, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be shaking hands, schmoozing, kissing babies, all that stuff. Um, well, whatever it is. So I don't know that it's always just musicians, but I will say that, you know, if there's a, if there's a circumstance where, you know, like you just, or if you're just like, so against the idea of doing free work and, and, and you don't really see any value in this, in the, uh, in the, you know, the scenario that you're being presented with, then just don't do it. Like, that's cool. Like, it's not a big deal. There are other clarinet players or other horn players or other, you know, cellists in town. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's just totally up to what makes sense for you at the time. Like, obviously if you have students during that time where you're going to be missing a couple hundred bucks, if you miss those lessons, like, yeah, that's, yeah, don't don't do that, you know, especially if you need, you know, but like it's it's again, I think it's always just up to the individual to decide whether or not it's something worth doing. And, you know, I would say that the thing that for, I would encourage people to do is just consider whether or not the opportunity has something of value to offer them or not. Mm. Often, most of the time, it probably won't, to be quite honest. I mean, depending on where you are in your career and and just kind of where you're at with things that that's going to change. Of course, it's a very fluid thing, but yeah, I mean, I would just say, don't, don't always immediately assume that something is a waste of time. If they're asking you to volunteer your services, it's yeah. not always the case. Of course, there are situations that are great. And of course there are plenty, there are tons that are total garbage and that's okay too. So just use your best judgment. I would say for anyone that's like, 
you know, listening to this and like kind of rolling their eyes or thinking, well, maybe, I don't know, you know? <laughs> well, it's just such a tough thing. I mean, I think musicians Absolutely. are in a very, a very difficult spot where we say that we do what we do because we love it. And I think that a lot of people assume that that means we should then work for free. But I mean, we like everybody else. We also love having food on the table and paying our rent, right, and, right, right. you know, and if a, if a carpenter says, you know, or, you know, um, some other line of work that often gets that kind of comment, like a chef, for example, well, they love cooking. Well, I mean, th- there's just so few people who would assume they would cater their wedding for free because they are a chef and they love it, you know? Right. Well, I think, I think people make the assumption that any service based business uh, can be approached for free work and should be just because they're not because then because people I think look at it from the perspective like oh well it's just a service it's just like you just showing up for an hour and doing X Y Z thing you know like it's it's a lot less common for people to like approach like um, like product based services product based businesses about that kind of stuff right Did because- you see that YouTube video where the the lady the com- the comedian calls up her electrical company and tries to pay with exposure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Very funny. That's, so that's probably, that's probably pretty funny though. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. I used to be very, very black and white on this issue, but I'm, I'm starting to sort of, I don't know. I'm starting to see more from both sides of the argument, I guess. It's just such a tough issue because it's musicians so often get taken advantage of in this way. And I guess what the worst part is just that people assume they just assume it's okay to ask like that. And it's not in any way insulting or, so. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, and you know, I think, and again, I think it's just important that it's that it's always like the context is important in this for for everyone. So yeah, because there are, there are a lot of people out there that that don't value what we do, and your best, and I would say to avoid working and dealing with those people like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back on track here. I don't want to go too far into the can of worms. Um, but (laughs) they're all over the room now, um, (laughs) but you've been very generous on the giveaway today and you're going to give a a listener of the podcast, a signed copy of your new book when it gets released in October. What would you like to say to the person who wins this item? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, so it's, it's about October 10th is the launch date on Amazon. Uh, so this is all distributed for anyone else listening. It's all on Amazon, a Kindle and paperback version. So for the person that, the person that like receives it, I would say that you're the person that receives it, anybody else that looks at it or reads my stuff, whether they buy the book, download the bonuses on the site, whatever it is, I would say that the thing that's the most important to, to remember is that like, just like anything in life, you kind of get out of it what you put into it. So like if you make the commitment to, to like, you know, do the work and say like, and stop Stop, you know, because I think it's easy to like kind of complain like, oh, I'm not getting any gigs. I'm not doing this, not doing that. Things aren't working out. You know, I think it's easy to do that. But I, I would say that if just just remember that every like, you know, you get as you get as good at your instrument as the time you put into it. Right. It's the same kind of thing with freelancing or any other kind of like entrepreneurial pursuit you may or may not be interested in. So use the book. It has everything you need to get going or to grow or expand. And if you have any questions about it, shoot me an email at Seth at SethHaines.com. Awesome. Yeah, I'm happy. To, I'm happy to, you know, you can tweet me at Seth Haynes, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. You can find me. I'm happy to talk, share ideas. I mean, I know this stuff works. It's, I've seen it work. This is how I built my career as a freelancer. It's how I got started teaching. It's how I ended up becoming a digital marketing consultant and doing web design work for big com- or big organizations and companies and things. It's, you know, that I, 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 everything that I've learned and done is outlined in this book and it can be replicated. I've seen it replicated. Just the other day, I got an email from someone that lives in Oregon, who's a student out there. And I remember getting emails from him a couple of months ago saying like, yeah, man, you know, I've tried these things. They don't work for me. What could I be doing wrong? Like, what am I doing? And then just the other day, he emails like, dude, I just got like, I just got a gig playing, um, like Carmina Burana with some like big choir in their area or something. Mm-hmm. And like, that's great. Like that's if, you, if, if you've never gotten one gig and then you get your first gig, like by yourself, like you did the work and you earned that gig. That's a tremendously amazing feeling to know that like you kind of picked yourself, you chose yourself to like make it happen. And then you did. So it's totally on, you know, your results are everyone's results will vary, but like, if you put in the work, you can make it happen. Awesome. 
So we're coming up on the lightning round here, which is a series of five quick questions, all to be answered in under a minute. But before okay. we do that, is uh, we've covered a lot of topics, but is there anything else you'd want to say real quick? Uh, other than go buy the book on Amazon, break <laughs> into the scene. No, I'm good. Let's uh, let's hit these lightning rounds. If, if anything pops up, I'll let you know. But let's, okay, uh, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to keep it under a minute. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me too. So, um, the first thing, if you if I was to walk over to your music stand right now, what would I find? What are you working on? Uh, right now, I think the I've got some low horn etudes sitting on the music stand. I've been trying to get back out of the summer chops and get back more into the in-season chops. So I'm a big believer in, for us horn players, if you can develop the low range solid, the foundation, everything else will kind of build on top of that. So that's what's currently on my stand. Awesome. So uh, we know one book you'd recommend, and that's, of course, Break Into the Scene. But what's, an, <laughs> what's another book that you might recommend that all clarinetists or musicians read? And it doesn't have to be a music book. Yeah, if I had one book that I was going to recommend, uh, you know, I'm going to cheat here and give two. So I can never, I'm a huge reader. I can never recommend just one book. I got to so get like a part. buzzer for these. <laughs> oh my God. I, yeah. If you had like a shock thing on me, I'd be in bad shape. But so, uh, so James Altucher has a book called Choose Yourself, um, which is basically like a crash course of entrepreneurial entrepreneurship. It's a fantastic read. It's a relatively short, great read. I highly recommend it. And then there's also a book by Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art, which is all about breaking the mental barriers associated with being a creator of anything. That is fantastic. It is. It was a life-changing read when I read it. I've gone through several of his other books. I cannot recommend that enough. He's a writer by training. He's a guy that was rejected hundreds and hundreds of times. He was in his 50s before he like really kind of caught his stride in like writing books. I mean, he has an amazing story and he shares all of his, all of the, the, the dirt and things he learned along the way of how to like actually become like a better creator and just focus on doing the work. Wow. I can't wait to check those out. You know, one of the hard things about doing this podcast is I hear so many great recommendations every week and my, my, right. my book, my book reading list is like, oh my God, it's so long. Yeah, Anyways. I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best piece of advice you ever received and who gave it to you? Oh man, you know, I would actually, so I would say the probably one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was actually when I was fairly, when I was first starting to kind of realize that I didn't want to go the traditional kind of orchestral route of being a, a horn player or an instrumental, you know, like classical musician. Uh, my teacher, who his name is Jeff Lang, he's the associate principal horn in the Philadelphia Orchestra. You know, he told me, we were talking about, I was like, you know, I want to do these other things. I want to, I want to try new things. And he was like, you know, it's not about being in the right place at the right time. It's about being in some place all the time. And I, you know, that really stuck with me. And I, I have always interpreted it as, you know, it's, it's not about like waiting for luck to happen to you. It's more about creating it for yourself. And so that was a, that's something that he told me, Jeff told me that one, you know, that was, six, seven years ago now or something like that. And I, I still think about it almost every day. That's an awesome piece of advice. Very, very interesting, actually. I, of course, he doesn't mean literally, but maybe you know, like inside no, people's but, heads a little bit or. Yeah. So the way I interpret it, I guess, is that because obviously everyone's interpretation will be different and unique. And I think there's actually I'm going to use another quote to describe my interpretation of Jeff's quote. So there's a great um, saying from a YouTuber named Casey Neistat, who is like a super famous filmmaker on YouTube. And so he says, I've always understood luck to be where opportunity meets preparation. And so I kind of think about that quote from Jeff about it's not about being in the same place at the right or being at the right place at the right time. It's about being in some place all the time. I just kind of think about that from the perspective of like, you know, if you're doing, if you're like consistently showing up and doing the work and like, um, you know, being consistent with like the process, uh, you'll get where you want to go. I think a lot of people have this idea of like, oh, if I just, if I just, uh, you know, I'm just waiting for that for lightning to strike. I'm waiting for my big break. You know, I don't really believe in that. There's like some break waiting for anybody. I think that we all create our own breaks. Mm. And so that's, that's kind of how I think about and interpret Jeff's comment, which is, you know, and I've 
I, I think I said this before, but I, I mean, I think about, I, he told me that, you know, that was six or seven years ago now. And I, I still think about it almost, almost every day. That's really interesting. Um, two more questions left for yep. getting to the end here. What is your all time favorite piece of music? And it doesn't have to be classical. It could be an album or anything. All time favorite piece of music. You know, I, I would say that probably the piece of music that is probably one of my favorites to listen to that was actually like the first thing I heard that made me like take the horn really seriously was the very end of Mahler one when the horns like stand up in the back of the orchestra. It's just like eight horns in unison on that big melody, um, which I actually got to play earlier this year at Carnegie Hall, which was like super gnarly. Oh, wow. um, so that's probably my favorite like classical thing. And one of, one of my favorite band, my favorite band that I just love their music. I just love everything about what they do is Arcade Fire. So they have a song called Wake Up that I just like really love that song. Oh, but- I love that song. I saw them on their first tour in Calgary. They came by and actually... I think it was that song. They came out in the lobby and like played it afterwards before they were famous. Oh man, that must have been awesome. Like, yeah, yeah I've got a signed CD by them actually. They signed yeah, one of them. Have, have you seen them live? I have. They were in Philadelphia like a year and a half ago. I went to the concert. It was so, it was a reflector tour. So oh, awesome. Yeah. So but, good. I'm a huge fan of their music. And what I love about them is that like, it's not, like it's not so like hyper overproduced. It's not, it's just like, like, it's just like kind of this it's like more raw. Yeah. Raw. Yeah, like that's such, that's so funny. We both said that, but like, it's yeah. like so it's such a, such this kind of like raw, like kind of like, you can just tell they're all just so psyched and like, so like into what they're doing and like what then like what they created and sharing with people, which I, I like I think a is lot really- how they use acoustic instruments and they're actually famous for kind of making, I don't know if I agree with this, but making fun of the, the bands that don't use so-called real instruments. They've been, oh. <laughs> yeah, they, they get some flack for that at festivals when they make comments like, it's so great to see all the other bands playing real instruments here. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's what, that's what I love. You know, they, I mean, they have, and it's like they use different instrumentation for different pieces. Like they switch instruments throughout. I mean, I think, I think they're just such a cool band. I'm a huge fan of their music. So awesome. Anyway, it's really cool. Yeah. So last thing I'm, and I'm, I wonder if your answer will be similar. It's uh, could you, if you could go back in time and meet any composer, past or present or musician, who would it be and why? I could be any composer or musician. Sure, if you could meet any, not if you could be them. Oh uh, yeah. Meet, uh, meet. If I can meet them. Oh man, that's interesting. I've never really thought about that. Um, yeah, I have to say that some of the people that I think are, uh, like were really interesting. Like I imagine Shostakovich must've been just like a heck of an interesting guy to talk to about his experiences. Um, like that would probably be a really interesting one. Um, yeah, I've never really thought about that. That's really interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Shostakovich or, or maybe uh, John Coltrane, who I think is also a really interesting, uh, interesting character in the in the in the story of music history. I think he's really interesting as well. But yeah, that's a uh, that's interesting. I, I, I wish I want I want to think about that all day now. That's I've never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting answers. And I'm so glad we had this chat today. I think we got through a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, I put that lid back on the can of worms there, but the free right. free gigs, but I, I expect it may spill over into the comments. We'll have to see. But um, so we know no, about I, your website. Engage with anyone about it. <laughs> we know about your website, musician's guide to hustling.com. Also breaking or break into the scene.com. Do you yep. also have a Facebook page or a Twitter handle people should know about? Yeah. So you can find me anywhere on social media at Seth Haynes. So it's just at Seth Haynes, H-A-N-E-S. You can link it in the show notes or whatever, but they can find me there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a super, I'm a super reachable and accessible guy. I get, I respond to every email I get from people that read my stuff or follow along or check in with this stuff. I'm, I'm always happy to, you know, lend a hand, lend a, lend a hand, offer a, offer a perspective, whatever I can do to kind of help my, uh, my colleagues in the music world out. I'm happy to do. Fantastic. So yeah, I think we had a really great conversation. I'll put everything up on the show notes at www.clarineat.com, including links to Seth's website, his book and his Twitter and his Facebook and all that sort of stuff. And I'll reference all the things that we talked about on the show notes. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Seth. I think this was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, this was great, Sean. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks everyone for for tuning in. And uh, I appreciate you letting a non-clarinetist hop on here. (laughs) (laughs) There's been several actually, and hopefully more because I sometimes feel like I and 
perhaps some other audience members too will feel this way, but I feel like I almost learn more from the non-clarinetists sometimes because it's just a different perspective. So yeah, absolutely. very interesting. Yeah, well, it's been great, man. I appreciate having me on. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, D'Addario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from D'Addario Woodwinds, visit daddario.com woodwinds.